Were you ready to eat? Ready to dive into God's Word? Five of you are, so we'll start. That's good. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Uh, we'll be at Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 5. We've been in a series on John, and we'll come back to the book of John in, in a little while. But I want us to look at Galatians chapter 4 tonight. We'll be reading that verse here in just a moment. We talked this morning about Christmas, a time of wonder. A time when we can wonder at the simplicity of the method of God coming to earth in the Christ child. We talked about Christmas being a time of wonder of how God would would choose the ordinary people and choose to have relationship with ordinary people like you and me. The wonder of God's unconditional love. We looked at that this morning, but I want us to look at this Christmas time on the first Sunday of Advent as we're preparing, as we are waiting for another Christmas time to see that Christmas is a time of fulfillment. We're going to talk a lot about time and timing and the right time and being on time. How many of you are sitting next to somebody who is always on time? Raise your hand. All right, that means that there's people next to you who are always late. That's all right. Or maybe you just don't like voting in church. I don't know. That may be part of it too. But I, I, I can think of how our timetable is important to us. Over this Thanksgiving break, uh, Carrie and I went over to Kankakee to see some family. And, of course, there's a time change, and that threw me off just a little bit. But I hadn't been feeling well, as some of you could hear last week. And so I had a wonderful Thanksgiving of sleeping for about four days. It was a great thing. And as I would take extra naps, I would wake up and I wouldn't be really sure what time it was. And, and with this winter uh, season, the sun goes down so early, I didn't know, is it the middle of the night? Is it dinner time? What time is it? I don't feel well. Who cares? Let's just go back to bed. And I was just on my own body clock. And while that was good for recuperating, it, it felt awkward as I began to feel better of, I'm not sure what time it is. It reminded me this afternoon as I was praying over this message that God had put on my heart, uh, of <laughs> something that I think there's been enough years now that I won't get in trouble, but I'm going to stand over here in case my wife is still frustrated with me uh, to give me a little bit of lead time in case she wants to throw some tomatoes. But we were living in Belton, Missouri at the time, and, and uh, I was in seminary and I was a youth pastor, and Carrie was uh, teaching school in Olathe, Kansas. It was about a 30, 40-minute drive, 40-minute drive. And uh, I had this bright idea as my wife would get up super early every morning to make this 40-minute commute to go teach high school. I just thought, wouldn't it be funny if I changed the clocks? I just thought that'd be a great thing. And, and she would get up. What time would you get up to, to leave at, at that time? 530. 5.30. It's ingrained in your memory. And so I thought the night before, wouldn't it be great to set the clocks two hours ahead, two hours faster. And so when she would leave at 5.30 to go, she'd actually be leaving at 3.30 to go to school. And so I went and I changed the clock next to the bed, the alarm clock, and I thought that was good. But I thought, you know what, she's going to put on her watch and she's going to realize that it's the wrong time. So I thought, I'm going to change her watch. So I went to her, her jewelry box and I changed her watch and realized I don't know what watch she's going to pick. She had a couple watches, so I changed all of them. And I thought, well, if she puts her watch on and the alarm clock goes off at this, this early hour, she's just going to get in the car and she's going to drive and see the, the clock right there on the car has, has the correct time. And so that won't work. So I thought, I'll just go change the clock in the car. So I went out to our uh, Ford Taurus, who I named Whitey Ford, and I, I changed the clock on Whitey Ford and, and everything was two hours ahead. And I went to bed and I could barely sleep because I was so excited about this wonderful prank that I had planned. And then the alarm went off and 
and uh, I heard Carrie just kind of rustle and kind of wake up, and, and oh, she was making a lot of extra noises, and I, I was doing everything I could to act like I was asleep. I was wanting to bust out laughing, but I, 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 I held to it, and, and she got in the car, and, and she took off, and she went all the way to school. She didn't realize she was two hours early until she had gotten to school, and, and she couldn't quite figure it out, and she was a theater director then, and so she just laid down in the theater shop on a couch and took a nap before school. She came home that uh, afternoon, and I thought for sure I would be busted and we'd have a good laugh, but she didn't quite figure it out. She says, I don't know what happened. I just got to school two hours early. And what was I to do but just keep the secret until about five years later until I confessed what I had done. But it's something else when you're on a different time. You, you can think you know what time it is. There could be loving people around you who change the time, but when, when you are not on the right time, it can mess up your day. And there may be some not very compassionate people around you who think it's kind of funny, but it's no longer funny for you when you're experiencing being on the wrong time. Well, we're going to look at how Christmas is a time of fulfillment. There is a right time wrapped up in this Christmas message. Let's take the Word of God now that you have there in Galatians chapter 4. Let's look at it. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation tonight, but you read along silently in the translation that you have there before you. But when the right time came galatians 4 4 but when the right time came if you have the niv it says the set time had fully come or the new king james the fullness of time but when the right time came god sent his son born of a woman subject to the law god sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children whatever time whatever clock you may be operating by, there's only one clock that is the right time, and that is God's time. God's clock is the only one that really matters. He alone is the master of time. Not me, not you, not the atomic clock in Colorado. He is the master of the right time. The problem is, that sometimes we begin to feel like God is late or God's timing isn't perfect. I confess there's been a number of times when, when I didn't quite feel like God's timing was perfect. But make no mistake, it, it wasn't a problem with God's plan. It was a problem of my perception of God's plan. You see, the key to living a fulfilled life is learning to cooperate with God's time and not fighting it. Christmas is a time of fulfillment, and if we can learn to live on God's timing, it changes everything around us. I don't know if that begins to make sense for you or not, but, but for example, let's look at how Paul reminds us in this verse, when the time was right, or the set time had fully come, or the fullness of time, then God came to earth as the Christ child. I'm sure that many wanted him to come sooner, but it wasn't the right time. The right thing at the wrong time is always a mistake. So if it was the right time then for Jesus to come, what made it the right time? As we look back, I want us to observe some of the clues that will help us see what God's clock saw. And we can get on God's timing and see why was it potentially the right time for Jesus to come at that moment. The right time for Christ's first coming there's three big categories i want us to look at if you're taking notes you'll see them there I, I don't have powerpoint for you tonight but i'll try to feed those to you if that helps you in your learning style 
Consider with me these three big categories, the right time for Christ's coming, the political, the economic, and the moral conditions that were just right for Jesus to come. You see, these political and economic and moral conditions created a perfect timing for the Messiah to come. And so we need to make a mental note of some of these parallels and how they affect us in our world today. First, the political preparation. What were the things going on politically that that God saw this was the right time? The dominant political feature of the world in which Christ came was the unification of a civilized world. That was Caesar's great achievement was to create this new world order under Roman rule. These three factors contributed to this unification. Number one, under political preparation, is the Pax Romana, or the Roman peace. You can just write Roman peace there for number one. See, if Christ had come a century earlier, the gospel would have been blocked at every turn by militaries and political roadblocks. If he had come just a few years later, the window of opportunity may have closed, but Christ came to a generation where the Roman peace held the world. It was the right time. We also see, number two, that there was a uniqueness politically with the Roman roads that were available at the time. From one end of the empire to the other, the great highways were testaments of Roman engineering. And the 10,000 laborers who toiled to build these roads had little thought, most likely, that they were preparing the way for Christ's disciples to spread the gospel all across the world. But we see this Roman peace, these Roman roads, and third, we see a common language, all made up the right time for political preparation for Jesus to come. The language of the New Testament was the common language of the day, this Koinonia Greek. Can you imagine, if there wasn't this unification in a common language, how it would have affected the advancement of the gospel? How it would have been slowed or even thwarted if there was a language barrier. But in the fullness of time, in the right time, God saw this political opportunity and said, this is my perfect timing for my son to come to earth. Political preparation, this Roman peace, these Roman roads, this common language all set up God's perfect timing. Not only was there a political preparation, we see economic preparation for this perfect time of Jesus' coming. It was the best of times and the worst of times in the Roman Empire economically. On the positive side, there had never been so many opportunities as there were. But on the negative side, we see, number one, this Roman opulence and the excess that brought with it this crushing end of an economic collapse. It brought all of these toils down on this empire because of their opulence and and their excess and, and how they just indulged in every single thing that they possibly could. Second negative that we see of this economic preparation for Jesus' coming is the debt pressures of the day. They had increasing taxes. They had increasing population that was putting incredible stress on a fragile economy. These factors sow deep anxiety in the political climate and the economic climate. It leads to the third, not only Roman opulence, the debt pressures, but number three, this insecure future was hanging over many of the people of the day. Insecurity about their future was, was not just average, it was prominent among many people. Life had become full of worry. 
It was then at this darkest hour that the voice of hope rang out across the hills of Judea. Unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The fullness of time had come. The right time of God. God's clock said, now is the time for my son to come to earth. The economic preparation, Roman opulence, this excess, the debt pressures, the insecure future was ripe for the time of the Messiah to come. We also see another third big category of Christ's first coming, the right perfect time for him to come is this moral climate or the moral preparation for the acceptance and need of the Savior. One historian of the day summed up the moral climate with these words, The world is growing old and not even Caesar can make it young again. You see, this culture had sinned its youth and innocence away. We see one, all kinds of corruption. Corruption had infected every area of life. All the freshness of youth was gone and debauchery and decay was the only thing that remained it was a moral bankrupt society and it was a stark contrast between the morality of the culture and this christ child who would be born into this environment the glamour of indulgence of the good life had left the world in a sea of moral decay we also see number two not only corruption we saw compromise compromise was rampant in the culture the old gods of rome were either dead or they were dying and eastern religions sought to fill the void among them even in the form of this caesar worship but both left an aching hole in the souls of men corruption compromise and third relativism Relativism was the order of the day. Everyone was left to create their own truth, their own Messiah, to deliver them from the moral mess that they had created. And in the fullness of time, in the right time, and God's clock, His perfect timing, He sent His own Son, the Messiah. Through the corruption and the compromise and the relativistic culture, Jesus came into this world. Listen to these eloquent observations of James Stewart. So the Redeemer came, somewhere in the mind and the heart of God, from the very foundation of the earth, the Christ had been waiting, hiding in the councils of eternity, until the great bell of the ages should strike. And when at last everything in the world and in the souls of men was ready and prepared, He came. The Word of God was made flesh. He came not a moment early, not a moment late, but exactly in the stroke of the hour. It was the day of the Lord. Why is it so important for us to see the fullness of time or to to be caught in the wonder not just of his method or of the people that he would use or his unconditional love, but to be caught up in this wonder, a time of Christmas, of a fulfillment of time? Why should we be concerned about this? Because it not only helps us see that God had perfect timing for Jesus to come the first time, but we see that there is a perfect time that Christ will come again. The second coming is coming. And there is a perfect time. And while no man knows the day or the hour, friend, I believe the time is near. Let's look at what we can see of, of how there's some preparations for this to take place now. The right time for Christ's second coming is coming as well. 
Observe with me some of the parallels in our world today, politically, economically, and morally, that seem very similar to what Scripture calls for in the second coming. Political preparation. We see in the last few generations, the end of the Cold War, the fall of communism, the waking of the United States as a world power, paving the way for the development of the much-publicized New World Order. We see another New World Order. That's number one there, if you're taking notes. Once again, like the days of Rome, the world is becoming a giant network, a global family. The stage is set for the emergence of a one-world government. I don't share this to just be a a proclaimer of gloom and doom. But friends, there is hope if we finish the book. We can see that the time is coming, and I believe the time is soon. What a better platform for a leader to emerge than the fighting of the global war on terrorism. Like the great Roman roads of old, we'll not only see one, a new world order, we'll see these new roads, these new avenues to carry out communication, we see it today in the Internet. We see it in the information superhighway. We see it in the World Wide Web. This information highway today bringing us closer and closer as a global world family. We not only see that this new world order and there's this, these Internet roads, just like we saw the Roman roads taking place, we see a common language among society. There's a language of commerce english has been the language of choice for commerce at least for the last number of decades it may be waning and changing but there is a unification on a language of commerce and we begin to see that there is a political world that appears to be ripe for jesus's timing to come again a new world order the internet or the information highway language of commerce is all lining up One of the most important prophecies Jesus uttered concerning his second coming is in Matthew 24, 14. Listen to Matthew 24, 14. He states, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then, finally, the end will come. When all have heard and when all have been reached with the good news of the message, that will set the stage for the end to come. For the first time since Jesus spoke these words, the technology is in place today to take the message of the gospel literally to every nation and every corner of the world. Indeed, the fullness of time politically is close. It is near. What about economic preparation? Like Rome of old, it can be said these are the best of times and the worst of times. Never in the history of men has there been such opportunity, but just like in Rome, there is many problems. One, if we just look at the United States opulence, not just Rome's, it can be jarring. Or the United States excess. See, the United States opulence is bringing the world to a point of economic crisis. I don't care what side of the aisle you find yourself politically. I don't care what side of the aisle you find yourself in economic uh, philosophy. Friends, in North America, while we have 10% of the world's population, we consume 70, depending on who you read, 80% of the world's resources. No, No wonder so much of the world looks upon us with jealous disdain. The United States' opulence is setting the stage for what I believe can be economic preparation for God's perfect timing for Christ's second coming. Number two, 
we see record debt. If you haven't figured it out yet, there's a pattern. These same items listed for Rome and for the, the first coming of Christ is the same for the second coming of Christ. Record debt, increasing taxes, increasing population are putting incredible stress on a fragile world economy once again. People are becoming more and more skeptical of any economic solution to the world's problems. There is deep anxiety. That leads to number three. Again, we see an insecure future. Insecurity about the future is rampant among people. Whether it's a community of preppers, a community of people who throw their hands up and give up, or a community of people who get angry and fight back, there is an insecurity about the future in the world today in many, many circles. Here, over a decade and a half, almost, of 9-11, we've seen this paralyzing fear of terrorism, and in light of the, the, the terrorist attacks in Paris, we see, again, fear is running rampant in our culture. It's universal, except in the people of God. We should not let fear grip us because we know that all this is a setup for what is coming next. It's all a part of the fulfillment of time, the fullness of time, preparing for Christ's second coming. It's all a part of God's clock. He isn't surprised by what's going on. He isn't surprised in wringing his hands at the things that's going on in our world, and we shouldn't either. Friend, if you haven't read the end of the book, read the end of the book. He wins. Therefore, we win. I'm not making light of the crisis and tragedy that's going on in our world, but friends, let's look. The hour must be close. I'm not predicting the day or the month or the year. To be honest, I'm not smart enough to figure that out. And those who feel like they're smart enough to figure it out, I want to remind them, you've been told you won't figure it out. But this is not to tell us that we shouldn't read the signs all through Scripture. It tells us to look for the signs to begin to see that time should be coming to an end. We see this economic preparation. The United States' opulence and excess. Record debt and insecure future. Also, we see this moral preparation for Christ's second coming. Ours is a culture that too has sinned its youth and its innocence away just like Rome. It's amazing how many parallels we can find in our current culture today to the fall of Rome. We are reaping the terrible whirlwind of generation upon generation fleeing God's word and God's instruction. We see one, corruption, and two, compromise. One, corruption, and two, compromise again. The corruption and compromise of the Hollywood that touts this good life has left in its wake a mass of broken homes of teenage pregnancies, an increase in crime, a distrust for authority, and record suicide rates all over the country. People are disillusioned with the gods of materialism, even though they're slaves to it, and they are disillusioned with self-indulgence, even though they're slaves to it, and they are looking more now than ever to spiritual answers in record numbers. Our moral compass does not indicate that we are looking for spiritual answers but friends people are looking for spiritual answers unfortunately many are getting caught up in the deception of not only the new age religion but eastern mysticism and other self-help religions you see this morality of our nation is eroding in many places it appears to be gone and everyone is encouraged to discover your own truth what works 
for you. It's corruption. It's compromise. And third, it leads to this relativism that we see in the timing that was right for Jesus to come the first time. Relativism is the order of the day. Through a wide religious smorgasbord of options, people can choose their own God, choose their own religion, and edit out anything that offends them to where they can live comfortably offending God Almighty. The climate is right for Christ's true church to rise up and live out faith to a watching world. Friends, Christmas is a time of fulfillment, and it is harvest time. Jesus is the answer. His gospel is the anchor, and he is looking for his people who have set aside their own agendas, their own comfort zones, their own timetable, and who will completely dedicate themselves to pointing people to Jesus in his time. Jesus said in Luke 21, 28, when all these things begin to happen, stand straight and look up for your salvation is near. Moral preparation, corruption, compromise, and relativism are all evident. Friend, I believe that God is positioning us to be a vital part of a great awakening. God has chosen us for this great hour, but we must stay in step with His clock, with His timing, and in step with the needs of a hurting world around us if we're to fulfill our mission. The only way to do that The only way to stay in God's timing, to stay synced with His clock, is to stay on our knees and to cry out to Him in prayer. Prayer is the key to syncing our clock with God's clock. Scripture tells us to pray continually. That's like all the time. That's like an attitude, a thought, a conscious mindset. Father, what it is that you want to say to me is what I hunger and and crave. Speak to me, Lord. I want to be seeing what you see. If we are to know God's clock, we must first know him intimately and personally. Friend, I believe that time is short. The urgency of the task has never been greater than today. The skeptic Christian who would say, every generation thought theirs was the last. I understand that. But friend, I believe time is short. Hallelujah, Joe, that's right. Because we know what's coming. And what a better way, can you think of a better way to live your life than ready for the final moments? What if we lived this Christmas as if it was the last Christmas? Not that you would run up debt and buy a bunch of stuff that would be pointless. But the last Christmas to get in and really square with the things that matter for all of eternity. If you would get that coveted shopping spree to go into the store early and get whatever you wanted to to snatch up to give gifts and presents, what value would it have when this world comes to an end? Absolutely nothing. In fact, it could be even worse than nothing. It could be a negative balance if it prevented you or me from being a part of what was really important. But you see, there was a perfect time for Jesus to come. There is a perfect time for his second coming. Friend, I believe that the right time for you and the right time for me to come to Christ in urgency is now. I ask you tonight as as we come towards the end of our time, are you ready? Ready for what? Are you ready for anything? Are you ready for Christ to come back? Are you ready to be a part of his movement to, to reach every last people group with his message?
Sometimes I wonder if we think about the second coming as a fact that we believe in our head to be true, but one that we push off because we like God to come after we've had a little bit more of living to do. I am too, Joe. When we think of the things that we would like to see in our life before Christ would come again, I understand some of them. But friends, compared to seeing Jesus face to face, they are nothing. And as my brother Joe has said, he is ready to see him. Are you ready to see him? As we end our time tonight, I challenge you with these thoughts. Christmas is a time of fulfillment. It's a time for us to adjust our clock to God's clock. But to do so, we need to slow down. We need to slow down from the frantic pace in order to perceive the rhythms and the movements of God's Spirit. It's like a bumper sticker I read five or six years ago that said, I break for Christmas. I'm not quite sure what that meant. But if it means I stop and slow down for Christmas, then I think that's pretty good advice. See, this is the right place. This is the right time. Christmas is a time for fulfillment. Could we get in on God's clock this Christmas? I couldn't think of a better way for us to end tonight than by stopping talking about it and start doing it together. If the best way for us to be in sync with God's clock, to to observe His perfect timing, is to pray, then why don't we take the balance of our few minutes together and cry out to him in prayer what if this was the last christmas that we would celebrate here what if this was the last advent season to to prepare to wait to anticipate what it is that christ wants to do friend i believe that's not out of the realm of possibility i believe that there's never been more an urgent time than now to pray and to say god would you help men and women, and families, and students, and kids, to see you clearly, maybe for the first time. This is the time that we share and that we help people find Jesus. I've I've got some friends who are going to come help me and lead us in prayer. And so if those friends would come up right now, come on up. I want to invite those of you who are not coming up to get in a position that helps you pray best. You may be in that position seated. Maybe you want to make your seat an altar. And for the next seven, eight, nine, ten minutes together, we are going to corporately call out to God, asking for Him to help us reach men and women and families and students and kids for Jesus. We'll be praying for these categories within the church and outside of the church as well. Asking God, could you help us Sync our clock with your time so we can get in again on what it is he is doing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the words that we have heard tonight from Galatians. The words we've heard from Luke, from Matthew. Jesus, you have been very clear to us that there was a perfect time for you to come. And there is a perfect time for you to come again. So Lord, as we crawl up into your lap right now and we call out to you the things that are heavy on our heart, as we intercede on these 
people groups and, and lift them to you. Lord, would you not only hear our prayer, but would you begin to change the atmosphere around us? Lord, we know that prayer changes things. But Jesus, we, we believe that we are one of the first things to change. So Lord, as we are crying out to you, would you begin to shift our heart and, and, and change our hearts and help us intercede on behalf of those that we're praying for in the way that would please you. So Jesus, here are your sons and your daughters trying to make good on what you're saying to us in your word, calling out to you in your perfect timing. Sync our clock with yours right now, Jesus. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I come before you on behalf of the women of Grace Point. Lord Jesus, I pray that we as women, um, whether we are single or married or um, widowed or whatever position that we're in, Lord Jesus, that we would have a hunger and thirst for more of you so that we can lead our families. Lord, I pray that you would draw us near to you, Lord, that we would see you as our provider, as our beloved, as our protector, as our rescuer. Lord, all the things that you are to us, and Lord, because of who you are, that we would want to know more of you. Lord, I pray that we would not isolate ourselves or get lost in the busyness of all the hats that we wear but instead that we would just find ourselves looking to you as our only audience because you are the only one, Lord, that we need to please. Lord, I see a movement of women in this church who are diving deep in the word and who are longing to be discipled by you, to know you more. Lord, I pray that we would seek you in ways that would affect our works workplaces and our communities and the people that we interact with on a day-to-day basis, Lord, that we would see every day that we need to crawl into your lap and listen to you so that we can obey you. Lord, call us to obedience, Lord, because there isn't time. There isn't time. So, Lord, help us to follow you, that you are the only one we need to listen to, Lord. We we love you. Father God, I come to you as a men of this church, as a men of this world, and I ask you, let us have a sense of urgency this Christmas season as it relates to you. Let us be urgent in our prayer in getting closer to you. As men, let us be urgent in leading our family in your son's path. Let us have urgency in reaching out to others with your word, the gospel of your son, redemption, and everlasting life. Let us be urgent in our own walks that we may draw closer to you in the ways of Jesus and reflect these to others. And let us be urgent in our leadership for the world to spread your gospel and reflect the qualities of Jesus. Father, I come before you on behalf of families. You established family, Father. You are the head of the church. You sent your son, Jesus, your son, Jesus, to die for my sins. For that, I am so eternally, eternally grateful. Father, I would ask that you would raise up families that would point people to you. Lord, that you would 
show your light through those families. Help men to be the strong leaders that you need them to be within their households, spiritually. Help our wives to honor you in what they say and do as they nurture and teach our children. Help our sons and our daughters to hear your voice. Help us as families to show the world around that there is a better way to live and pursue those things which have no eternal value. Father, your word will not return void. Help us in all that we do to honor you that you are what we have. Lord, those families that are struggling with divorce or separation, would you touch them? Would you, would you give them your peace in these trying, trying days? Lord, help us to honor you in what we say and do by honoring our commitments to those around us as families. We thank you for your goodness to us, that you will be praised. Father, as we look around the world today and see um, not only the pressure we face, but the pressure students face to compromise, to exchange truth for a lie, all of us can turn on the TV or even just see all the pressure there is to turn from you in our world. And yet, Lord, the world may be a dark place, and yet you are the light. You are the source of life. And you have not left our students without hope. Father, you don't want anyone to perish, but all to come to eternal life. And we thank you for that. Lord, for our students who are searching for identity, help them to find it in you. For students who are searching and clinging to relationships, Lord, I pray that the one relationship they would seek before all others would be a relationship with you and that all other relationships in their life would come under your authority and your guidance, Lord. But Father, I also ask that in the same way that the first century Christians used every piece of uh, technological advancement, whether it be roads or um, mailing systems and all these things to spread the gospel, Lord, that our interactions with the technology of our day would not be to uh, distract ourselves from you, but to spread your word more clearly, more accurately, Lord. And so, Father, all over our world there are people who do not know you, and yet we have more ways to communicate to them than ever. I pray for our teenagers that the teenage years would not just be a time for uh, figuring out what career, figuring out uh, relationship things, figuring out social skills, Lord, although it will be that, Lord, we pray for more than that. We pray that the teenage years for our teens in this church and the teens across the street and the teens across the world, that it would be a time for training in godliness, for them to put on the full armor of God, for them to become young men and women in you, for them to live lives of faithfulness, of love, of purity, and of hope in you. And Lord, we thank you so much that in this season we are not only reminded of you sending your son to save us from our sins, but you sending your son to save us and everyone we see from sin. 
And so, Lord, may we, as we fall down before you and praise you for the love and sacrifice you gave for us, help us to make others aware of how much love and grace there is in Christ this season. Dear God, I ask that you will not only prepare the hearts of students in the church, but also students across the world, and that you be with them and you soften their hearts to you. Um, I ask that you also be with the students here in the church and that you help them see what they need to do and what they have to do. Um, I ask that you will protect the teens who are um, in danger from themselves and from others. I ask that you give them hope and a future. Um, Dear Jesus, I pray. Uh, <laughs> Dear Jesus, I pray for little boys and girls. Amen. Lord, we do pray for the children. Lord, I pray that you would uh, be all that they need. Lord, I think of Emma and I think of the children her age as we prepare for next Sunday's uh, Christmas pageant. Lord, I pray that your truth would be spoken to them in ways that we don't understand but that they do. Lord, I pray that your, your truth would be spoken in our homes. Lord, I pray that we would write them on our doorposts and we would hang them on our walls and that your truth would be spoken as we go along the road. Lord, I pray that we would not give uh, the teaching responsibility over to the institutions or the organizations, but that we as parents would rise up and teach our children the truth of Jesus Christ in a way that is not uh, a threat, or a, 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 but in a way that is, in a way that is winsome in a way that is desirable. Lord, I, I know that your truth is powerful, and I pray that you would lead and guide us as parents. Lord, I pray for those who have children that who are not uh, children any longer, but I pray for them. I pray that you would give the parents wisdom to speak. Uh, there, are, there are those who have children that are far from you, and I pray that you would give them a peace they would know how to speak to them. They would know how to, to present you to them, uh, sometimes without words. Lord, I pray that you would be with our families again and our children. Uh, raise them up in a strong way to serve you and follow you in a way that, that we cannot do, but a way that you can draw them into you. We trust you and we love you, and we know that your power is far beyond what we can ask or imagine. And so we give our children to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, as we read the words that you put on our heart tonight, but when the time was right, when the fulfillment of time came, Father, you sent your Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Father, you sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that Jesus could adopt us as his very own children because we are his children father you have sent the spirit of jesus into our hearts prompting us to call out abba father daddy 
Now we are no longer a slave, but Father, we are your own children. And since we are your children, you have made us your heir. Lord, I ask that you would give us this urgency tonight as we leave to see what a tremendous gift we have been given in you. This is a time of wonder, of the simplicity of the method in which you came to save us. A time of wonder in which you have chosen the ordinary to have relationship with and the ordinary to work through. God, who are we to be your mouthpiece in this urgent time? But you've chosen us. The wonder of your unconditional love that we read about here just a moment ago. Thank you, Jesus, for the perfect time of your arrival. I thank you that there is a perfect time for your second coming. And I thank you for this Kairos moment, the perfect timing right now that you are calling us to be your hands and feet and sharing the good news this Advent season with everyone around. In your name we ask these things. Amen and amen. May God bless you.